I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. Welcome to another fabulous day in the Lord's neighborhood <clears throat> and another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page with me, Page, your caffeine-imbued host. Grateful for the coffee that God has created. <sighs> I hope you're having a great day. Today, we're going to continue on in our discussion in Numbers. We're in chapter 8. And uh, I discovered something new today that I hadn't seen before. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but uh, with me, I'm continually reminded when I read the Bible that sometimes it seems like even though I've read a passage time and after time after time before, I read it, I see something new. It's almost like I want to ask God, when did you slip this in when I wasn't looking? Well, that's kind of what happened here today. I realized something about the Levites that I did not know. And it's kind of exciting. And it's also points to one of the purposes why God has us on this planet. So without any further ado, let's get started. Numbers chapter 8. Now he starts off with a curious couple paragraphs about the lampstand. Now we've been talking about his preparation of the priesthood and the Levites. And then out of nowhere, he has this instruction about what to do with the lampstand. And I don't know why it's where it is. But it points to, believe it or not, in my mind, the humanity of the author. Have you ever been in the middle of a subject that you've been discussing? Then all of a sudden something just comes to you and says, oh yeah, I got to say this. And sometimes it's not even related to what you're discussing. Kind of get the feeling like Moses just stops and wait, 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 wait. I got forgot about the lampstand. And he's writing this instructions to the lampstand. The Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you set up the lamps, see that all seven light up the area in front of the lampstand. Now, if you remember our past devotionals, when you enter into the tabernacle itself, come out of the courtyard in the tabernacle, on your right's the table of showbread, directly in front of you before the curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place is the altar of incense. And to the left, as you walk in, is the lampstand. The lampstand is the only source of light. There are no windows. The lampstand is the only source of light in the holy place. And the lampstand is symbolic of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's gift the giftings it provides, uh, the illumination it provides. It's the only source of illumination in the tabernacle. And it's also uh, a picture of how the Holy Spirit is the only source of illumination to the believer. Uh, and 
we could go on and on and on about all the different things about the gifts of the spirit and the and the uh, anointings of the Holy Spirit and the oil and the fire and everything. But that's really not where I want to spend my time today. We've already discussed that somewhat. Maybe in the future we can do some more of that. Aaron did so. He set up the lamp so that they faced forward on the lampstand just as the Lord commanded Moses. And this is how the lampstand was made. It was made of hammered gold from its base to its blossoms. The lampstand was made exactly like the pattern the Lord had shown Moses. All right. Now we're getting to the part that I want to chat about. The Lord said to Moses, take the Levites from among all the Israelites and make them ceremonially clean to purify them. By the way, this word ceremonially is used an awful lot. I only bring that up because for whatever reason, it's one of the most difficult words next to some of these Hebrew names that I have to pronounce. The Lord's teaching me how to pronounce ceremonially. In order to do that, I have to slow it down. That's a good life lesson for almost anything. <laughs> slow down, Paige. Take the Levites from among all the Israelites and make them ceremonially clean. To purify them, do this. Sprinkle the water of cleansing on them. Then have them shave their whole bodies and wash their clothes. And so they will purify themselves. Have them take a young bull with its grain offering of the finest flour mixed with olive oil then you are to take a second young bull for a sin offering. Bring the Levites to the front of the tent of meeting and assemble the whole Israelite community. You are to bring the Levites before the Lord and the Israelites are to lay their hands on them. Now, the Levites represent the nation of Israel before God. By laying hands on them, the other people of the nation were acknowledging their representation of them. So the Levites represented everybody who wasn't a priest or a Levite, because that's all that's left. You have priests, Levites, and then the 12 tribes. So the Levites represented the nation of Israel. And just like in the sacrifice that we read about before, but when you bring a bull to be sacrificed or a lamb, the person bringing the sacrifice lays his hand on the head of that animal in order to identify with that animal. Well, here, the Israelites lay their hands on them. Now, there's several million Israelites. I am absolutely positive that these guys were not manhandled by several million Israelites. Probably the leaders that we that we read about earlier, where there's a leader for each of the 12 tribes, maybe they gathered in uh, to represent their people and they laid their hands on the Levites. I'm not sure, but common sense would say that's probably the way it happened. Aaron is to present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the Israelites so that they may be ready to do the work of the Lord. Now, the Levites are to lay their hands on the heads of the bulls, using one for a sin offering to the Lord and the other for a burnt offering, there's two bulls. And there is a grain offering as well to make atonement for the Levites. Have the Levites stand in front of Aaron and his sons and then present them as a wave offering to the Lord. In this way, you are to set the Levites apart from the other Israelites and the Levites will be mine. Now, this wave offering, I'm not all that familiar with it, to be honest. And I'm still doing some research, but there are times when, when you would bring a sacrificed animal and they would take the haunch of that animal uh, and they 
or a grain offering, and they literally wave it before the Lord rather than burning it all up on the on the altar. Uh, it's kind of like they're telling the Lord, Lord, here it is. Here am I. And it's kind of like drawing attention from the Lord to the person bringing the sacrifice. That's my thoughts on it right now. That could change. Now, we have three offerings up here. We have a burnt offering, we have a sin offering, and we have the grain offering. Let's just remind ourselves what those offerings mean. The purpose of the sin offering, which is gonna be one of the one of the bulls, the offering is brought during or after atonement for those transgressions that had been committed inadvertently or in ignorance. In other words, if you can't, this is to handle all the things that happened without you being aware of it. And we talked about that before, the how interesting it was that God provided a sacrifice for those sins that we were unaware that we committed. And we talked about how that pointed to the fact that our nature is such that we sin inadvertently without even thinking about it. It's our nature to sin. So there are sacrifices you bring for things that you are aware of, uh, for sins that you commit that you are aware of. But because our nature is such that we sin inadvertently, you might almost say we sin instinctively, which is what Paul says. He says we are by nature sinners and enemies of God. That's what he says throughout Romans. So that God provides a sacrifice to cover our sin nature. That's what this is. It's brought during or after atonement for those transgressions that have been committed inadvertently. So it's like, it's like God provides a sacrifice for the sins we know we've committed. And that's equivalent of us Christians when we, when we, when we commit a sin that we're aware of, that we do something that we know is wrong. We come to God and ask forgiveness for that thing that we did, that sin that we committed. But there is a sacrifice that covers the very nature that produces that sin. That's what this is, the sin offering. You, I call it the sin nature offering. And that is a perfect picture, picture of what Christ does, the Christ does for us, the Messiah. He takes care of the sin nature, the thing that's in us that leads us to sin, that is so that is so intertwined with our person that we sin instinctively. Sometimes we see what that sin is. Sometimes we're aware of that sin and we ask God forgiveness for that. But the thing that brings us to sin, the sin nature, that's what this sacrifice takes care of, the sin offering. Now there's a burnt offering talked about here. The biggest difference between the burnt offering and the other offerings is that to make a burnt offering, the entire animal was burned on the altar, symbolizing total commitment or surrender to God. Um, the burnt offering often comes with a grain offering, which means to worship, which is a picture of worshiping God and acknowledging God's provision. So these Levites, they had the sin offering, 
They had a burnt offering and they had a grain offering. So they're totally committing themselves to God. They've taken care of the sin nature by virtue of the sin offering. And they've acknowledged God's provision and his grace in the grain offering. After you have purified the Levites and presented them as a wave offering, they are to come to do their work at the tent of meeting. Now, here's the one thing. Uh, the, the Levites weren't allowed to go into the tent and see the furniture of the tent. They're there to help the priest. But the pri- you notice, we noticed earlier that the Levites who were hauling these things around when God gets up and ready to move, because that's what the Levites are there for primarily, is to help the priests. They were not allowed to see the table of showbread, see the altar of incense, see the, the Ark of the Covenant. They were not there. They couldn't see the lampstand because a priest would go in and cover all these things up and then the Levites would transport them. All right. After you've purified the Levites and presented them as a wave offering, they are to come to do their work at the tent of meeting. They are the Israelites who are to be given holy to me. I have taken them as my own in place of the firstborn. God has a special relationship with the Levites. Rather than take the demand that the firstborn of every family in the 12 tribes be given to the Levites to help, he actually, I mean, to be given to the priest to help, he takes the descendants of Levi, the Levites, and says, I'm going to use them in place of the firstborn from among each family. I've taken them as my own in place of the firstborn, the first male offspring from every Israelite woman. Every firstborn male in Israel, whether human or animal, is mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set them, meaning the firstborn of Israel, apart from myself. And I have taken the Levites in place of that, of them, of all the firstborn sons in Israel. From among all the Israelites, I've given the Levites as gifts to Aaron and his sons to do the work at the tent of meeting on behalf of all the Israelites and to make atonement for them so that no plague will strike the Israelites when they go near the sanctuary. Hmm. I have given the Levites as gifts to Aaron and his sons to do the work at the tent of meeting on behalf of the Israelites and to make atonement for them so that no plague will strike. This is amazing to me. All right, the the Levites had a dual purpose here. First of all, they were there to help the priests. But second of all, the Lord gives his Levites to the priests as their aides for the work of the ministry so that no plague will strike the Israelites. The Levites were a protective hedge, if you will, for the community against trespassing in the sacred precinct of the tabernacle. It's like it, it, the Levites were a buffer to keep the children of Israel from coming too close to the tabernacle and incurring the wrath of God. They were the thing They were the entity that kept God's wrath from pouring out on Israel because we're going to find out Israel is a pretty disobedient bunch, at least this generation. And uh, the Levites provided a buffer between the people of Israel and God. 
this is a very real example of uh, what Paul is talking about in 2 Thessalonians, where he says, and now you know what's holding him back. And we're talking about the man of lawlessness, Antichrist, if you will. And now you know what's holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. Paul is referring to at a point in our future when the Holy Spirit and the church is removed from the earth and the enemy of our soul, Satan, is given unbridled uh, access to the earth. Nothing's holding him back. Because here's the truth. The destruction that the enemy of our souls will bring is being held back by the presence of the church. In this picture, the Levites, they're a picture of the church. Um, now, every analogy breaks down eventually, but if you look at the priests as the professional clergy in the body of Christ and the Levites as the laity in the body of Christ, you can see that, that the purpose of the layman is an incredibly powerful one. Our very presence in this, on this planet with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us is the very thing that is keeping the earth from total and complete destruction. The Levites camped around the tabernacle. The Levites' work in the tabernacle was the buffer between the destruction of the people of Israel who were not priests or Levites. It says up here, he gave them as gifts to Aaron and his sons to do the work at the tent on behalf of the Israelites and to make atonement for them so that no plague will strike the Israelites when they go near the sanctuary. There's no destruction of Israel because of the Levites. And as long as the Levites are there, total, complete destruction of Israel is, is prevented. As long as we believers with the indwelling Holy Spirit are on this planet, the total and complete destruction of this planet is held at, a, is held at bay. Now, does that mean that there won't be destruction? That there won't be death? And de we know that's, we know that's the case. We see that all the time. There's earthquakes and, and storms and people dying. There's evil, people killing people. There's murders. There's all that stuff that's going on. But that is not anywhere near the destruction that would take place in this planet if God's spirit and his people were removed from it. We're going to find out that the Levites are keeping the nation, the presence of the Levites are keeping the nation of Israel itself from being destroyed. But that doesn't mean that there's not going to be times of disobedience. We're going to see that happen all too often in Israel's future. Yes, God does get angry with Israel. Yes, God does punish Israel. But the total, complete destruction of Israel for their disobedience, for their uh, is going to be held at bay by the presence of God in the lives of the priests and the Levites. 
especially the Levites. So we lay people, we who are part of the laity, we have a very important part to play in God's plan in this world. Does that make sense? I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, analogy. Moses, Aaron, and the whole Israelite community did with the Levites, just as the Lord commanded Moses. The Levites purified themselves, washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them as a wave offering before the Lord and made atonement for them to purify them. After that, the Levites came to do their work at the tent of meeting under the supervision of Aaron and his sons. They did with the Levites, just as the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord said to Moses, this applies to the Levites. Men 25 years of old or more shall come to take part in the work at the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50, they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. This then is how you are to assign the responsibilities of the Levites. A really neat little chapter. I really, I really like this. And I didn't realize this about the Levites, that the presence of the Levites is what kept the rest of Israel from being destroyed because they would surely encroach upon the tabernacle. Hmm. Lots of things to think about there. But for now, that's enough for today. I'm Paige. Here's my coffee. Folks, I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye.